Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are doing amazing and enjoying the spring sunshine and weather, even though it has been kind of chilly and a little windy, and it's been still like minus five these, this past week. So I'm really hoping that this week is going to be nice and warmer and that spring will finally rear its amazing, beautiful, sunny head because we definitely need some nicer, warmer weather. And outside of that, guys, I have some fun, exciting news. Our Instagram Influence Masterclass is coming up on April 17th. So it's a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. It's our intensive two-hour masterclass, and I am so excited for it. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I need some Instagram help, you want to know how to use those hashtags and learn the secret ways to hide those hashtags, yes, you can hide them in a secret way and will increase your followers. And you really want to engage with your community and build your community and build connections and likes and follows, then come join us on the Instagram intensive masterclass. I am not going to be teaching you how to post nice butt photos or how to become a skinny tea influencer or become, you know, the next Kim Kardashian on Instagram. That is not what I'm teaching. I'm truly teaching you how to build an authentic brand and a brand that you can stand behind with integrity and really build your community and build connection, which will ultimately lead to more quality leads, lead to more business growth and money in your business and lead to more success. And this is exactly what I'm going to teach. I love hanging out on Instagram, as you know, and it's a platform that you know, it's a photo platform and that's really what draws many people in, right? It's the photography. And for me, I love food photography and being able to go on Instagram and see amazing food photos. That was just really eye-catching for me. And it also really helped me to become a better food photographer. And so... Photography is one important aspect of Instagram, but there is so much more to learn. And because it's a platform I love hanging out on and we grow by thousands by the month, I really want to be able to share some amazing strategies and tips with you guys for all my health entrepreneurs out there and health professionals, my womanpreneurs. If you're listening and you need the support, come join us. Head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash Instagram influence and come register for our masterclass. It's a two-hour masterclass. It will be recorded. So if you can't make it live, we will send out the recording and there will be lots of awesome worksheets that you can work through that are really going to help you bring some clarity and to help you strategize with your posting. And we are also creating some incredible done-for-you images that you can freely use and post on your Instagram. And they are going to be beautiful, not cheesy-looking photos, all right? So come join us. Again, that link is holisticwellness.ca forward slash Instagram influence. And now for today's episode. I am so excited for our episode today. I interviewed Dr. Brooke Kalanick, and she is amazing, and she really explains working out and nutrition in such this sort of new way about your hormone hierarchy, and I loved, loved how she explained it and broke it down in this hormone hierarchy and how you can modify and adjust and strategize your nutrition and your workouts and whatnot based on your hormone hierarchy. So it was a really incredible episode. We talked about PCOS. We talked about, obviously, the hormone hierarchy. We talked about workouts and exercising. We talked about how kale isn't going to be the fixer of all things. And we just dove into so much incredible content that I know you guys are going to love. So a licensed naturopathic doctor and functional medicine doctor, Dr. Brooke attended Washington's Bastyr University, where she earned a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and master's in acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. 
Dr. Brooks' postdoctoral training in women's health and functional endocrinology, as well as her personal battle with PCOS, led her to specialize in female hormone issues, including menopause, hypothyroidism, including Hashimoto's, autoimmunity, endometriosis, and of course, PCOS. She helps women reset their hormones, their heads, and their habits so they can finally feel at home in their bodies. She is also the co-host of The Sarah and Dr. Brooke Show and co-author of Hangry, Balance Your Hormones and Rediscover Your Joy in Five Simple Steps. So let's dive into our episode with Dr. Brooke Kalanick. Hi, Brooke. It's so great to have you on the show with us today. And before we dive in, I'd love if you can share with our audience more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor. I went to Bestier University in Seattle. I did all of that after going through pharmacy school and finding for my own health and PCOS, which I have. Kind of when I was in pharmacy school, it was very stressful. I was kind of, you know, eating all the wrong things, you know, kind of being that classic grad student, right? That didn't really know any better. Learning about one particular style of, I don't know if I call it healing, but one particular style of medicine, but not really finding any real answers for myself within the traditional pharmaceutical model. So I was turning to my, actually my mom's naturopathic doctor, and she really just changed my life, which it's funny because initially the things she did, she taught me how to eat a little bit better. She suspected maybe dairy was bothering me. I got off dairy. You know, I took a few, some adrenal support, some B vitamins, just like a, what I know now were like really basic interventions for me for, you know, as far as functional medicine or naturopathic medicine, but it really changed my life. And so as I was ready to start working or thinking about applying to conventional medical school, I had decided that I was going to kind of abort mission and go towards pursuing a degree in naturopathic medicine. And so it was kind of like many of us that do this work, our own health journeys sort of helped kind of carve the path for us finding our own answers and ultimately became what I, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So here we are. That's really amazing. I love that. And so you struggled with your own issues with PCOS, and I'd love it if you can really take us through, you know, what that was like and how you initially got diagnosed. So I was a teenager with breakouts and a super heavy and very irregular period, and we know now that it just does take for some women a little bit of time to kind of sync up a normal cycle. So us putting, you know, I was immediately handed the pill. They were like, "This will quote unquote regulate everything," and so when. I guess I was, you know, that was my diagnosis, but there was very little conversation about what PCOS was, what it meant. It was pretty much like, oh, this is why you're breaking out. This is why you're having these weird cycles. Here, take the pill. And I was 16. And, you know, it's sort of handed to you as it feels so benign, right? Like everybody's taking it. There was no, you know, real conversation about side effects or what it's actually doing. And of course, no real explanation of the condition that I had. So I took it and I never felt great on it. So I kind of just kept coming on and off of it throughout, you know, probably from 16 till 25, because when I'd come off of it, I still didn't know what to do. I still had all these, all this struggle with PCOS. I was breaking out. My cycle was really weird. And that option just never worked very well for me. I never felt great on the pill. It didn't cause a lot of like the depression and anxiety that some women feel, but I definitely had weight gain. You know, my breasts got huge. I just, I just really was a very estrogen dominant girl on the pill and I'd come off of it, but again, kind of struggle. So again, I didn't really have a lot of support or even understanding for what it was. And the nutrition advice I was given was of course, quote unquote, don't ever let your blood sugar get too low. I don't it's funny because I have insulin resistance, but the advice was like eat rice cakes, never like because I was dealing with some reactive hypoglycemia as well. And so I was eating like all these simple low fat or non-fat carbohydrates, which of course made me feel a lot worse. And so as I learned more about nutrition and as I learned more about naturopathic medicine, I of course discovered a higher protein diet, a lower carb diet, and in my 20s, that worked really, really well. Of course, I've had to adjust that as I've gone through different stages, you know in my life since then. But yeah, I was kind of the classic teen girl whose, you know, cycle was being weird, just given the pill and you just sort of, you know, again, it feels so benign the way that they just give it to you. It's such little explanation. (laughs) I know. And so I'd love it if you can expand on testing for PCOS, because I know most women tend to think that if they have cysts, then they have PCOS. But I know that it's really about looking at hormones. And so you can 
you know, help our audience understand what hormone tests that, you know, you recommend that women get to really determine their PCOS. Yeah. So if you're suspecting, so testing for PCOS is a little bit frustrating because some women aren't tested at all because they, they come with some research to their doctor, some information, like, I think I might have this. And they're told, well, you don't really look the part. You're not really overweight. You don't have a bunch of facial hair. So I'm not even going to look into that any further. And that's unfortunate because we're starting, you know, we understand that this condition doesn't look the same for every woman. And a lot of that has to do with what she's maybe currently eating, you know, like maybe she's eating better than like your average girl. And so maybe some of these things are managed. And we've also got some just different body types. This doesn't, not every woman with this condition is struggling with weight loss. It's just not the way that it necessarily looks. So there is some trouble with women even getting a diagnosis. There's also trouble with some misdiagnoses. So there's some things that can look like PCOS on an ultrasound. So if you get an ultrasound of your ovaries and there are kind of a classic small underdeveloped multiple follicles, hence the name polycystic ovarian syndrome, that can be from PCOS. So those excess androgens and sort of unhealthy follicles in that outer layer of the ovary but hypothyroidism can show up that way too. So some experts categorize PCOS, there is like a quote unquote thyroid type of PCOS. To me, that's not really PCOS. That's just a low thyroid. And when we resolve and treat the thyroid and they get their thyroid levels normal, those cysts will go away. Whereas someone with PCOS is going to have some ongoing underlying metabolic, you know, kind of foundations that this condition doesn't necessarily go away. Hopefully you can learn how to really thrive with it because there's a lot of things that we can do in terms of how we eat and how we live. So that's one thing that can get misdiagnosed. It's also not uncommon for girls in puberty to have multiple cysts on their ovaries. And so sometimes women get misdiagnosed. There's definitely experts that say we shouldn't even be diagnosing this until a woman is over 18 because, you know, we want to make sure that her cycle is syncing up because it just takes a little time, right? For our cycles to start to get our brain and our ovaries in that coordinated 28 day or 38 day cycle. So that doesn't always happen immediately. So those are a couple of things to think about as far as getting diagnosed. Now you have to have, if you do have insulin resistance or elevated androgens, you want to rule out other causes. So there's more rare things that can cause like adrenal hyperplasia. That's not very common. So for the most part, if you're showing up with irregular periods, the cysts on your ovaries, insulin resistance, or elevated androgens, those are all going to be signs and tests that can help point you towards this diagnosis. So something that happens, though, for a lot of women is they'll get just testosterone checked, and that's not the only androgen that can be elevated. We've got androgenodione, we've got DHEAS, there's other androgens that can be elevated. So especially if you're having symptoms, you want to make sure that you're getting multiple tests in that regard. So those are some of the diagnostic criteria. And it gets a bit murky too, because some women have a more regular period. Some women don't. Some women aren't ovulating at all. Some are managing to still ovulate sort of despite this disruption. And then when we kind of move into like the bigger picture of what this is, again, some women have really struggle with the elevated androgens. Some women really struggle with just the ovulation stuff. Some really struggle more with the insulin resistance. There's an underpinning of inflammation for all of that. And then that manifestation can be you know, very different. Like I don't really deal with a lot of the hair loss at the front, but my thing would be breakouts. That's where my PCOS is going to show itself. Or if I'm under too much stress, my period's going to be you know, really late. So I do have a lab guide that I think I can share with people that is actually just a free download that is just, these are all the tests you need. These are the values. This is what it means. And if you do think you have something like PCOS or you're worried about, you know, am I getting a thorough thyroid check? It's got them all there. So you can kind of just be your own detective and your own advocate, which is unfortunate, but that's sort of the system, you know, that we're working in. Absolutely. Yes. I do have that link. So we'll be sure to put it in the show notes for sure. Thanks for sharing that. So what are some lifestyle strategies and nutrition strategies that you recommend for women with PCOS? So again, this looks a little different for all women, but some of the common themes are inflammation. So one thing that's common, whether you're the, um, what they call the lean type or the heavy type. So kind of depending on different body types, your manifestation can feel a little bit different. And again, my cycle has been a lot more regular than many women with PCOS, but the inflammation is a real kind of cornerstone of, you know, an underlying root cause for this condition. So 
all women with PCOS should be really looking to manage all sources of inflammation. So we know we can get inflammation from not getting enough sleep, from over or under exercising. We can definitely get it from our diet. So there's, of course, the big culprits like gluten, dairy, some of those things that tend to be more inflammatory for most women or that tend to you know, have a cause an exaggerated insulin response. So those tend to be the biggies, but of course we can be sensitive to all kinds of other foods. So certainly if there's something you know that doesn't work for you, you know, trying to avoid that. And I find sleep and stress to be probably the next, probably even maybe even more so than food. Those are kind of the three biggies, sleep and stress and some sort of, you know, food stuff. Of course we've got like any sort of disrupted gut. So dysbiosis or a gut infection or a chronic virus, those things are all going to breed more inflammation as well. But that would be like the one thing I would say all women with PCOS really need to think about. And that's all sources of inflammation. And sometimes that can get a bit tricky, right? You know, not all of us know all the stresses that we're under, but sleep, you know, do you feel overworked and worn out all of the time? Are you getting rested and feel like you're recovering? Are you overtraining? You know, when someone has a condition that makes it hard to lose weight, we tend to exercise a lot. And then that can be, of course, overdone and create a lot of inflammation. So that's a real, real big one for all women with PCOS. And then the next would be kind of assessing within whatever nutritional philosophy you're following a couple of important things. And one would be your, what I call your unique carb tolerance. So my low carb diet might be really different than your low carb diet or someone else with PCOS their low carb diet. So figuring out what types of carbohydrates, what amounts, you know, do you do better on something really low or even going like some, to something more extreme like a ketogenic diet? Or do you do better with like a little bit of carbohydrate a couple times a day or at least post-workout? And I think it's one of those things we kind of want to step away from the nutrition dogma and really just take some time and figure out what's going to work best. And one of the trickiest combinations I find in this case is a woman dealing with PCOS. So there's some degree of insulin resistance and then also dealing with perhaps some HPA axis dysfunction or adrenal fatigue where they also have trouble keeping their blood sugar up. So they can't go too long without eating. So plans that might work for straight up insulin resistance. So fasting, keto, really low carb, eating less frequently, exercising more are going to be fine if all you're dealing with is insulin resistance. If you're also dealing with some adrenal stuff, you may have to do this tricky dance where you need some carbohydrate and you probably need to eat more than two or three times a day, but you can't to honor that low cortisol, but you also can't eat too many carbohydrates or too much in one sitting and have too big of meals or go, you know, eat too frequently because that's going to exacerbate kind of the other side of it. So I have my hormone hierarchy. I don't know if you want me to talk about that a little bit, but that's a, that's kind of a good example. You know, we were talking off air that women are sort of treated like, and this is a great example. So you've got PCOS, so you have insulin resistance, you need to be low carb, end of story. And we forget that women also have thyroid glands and adrenal glands and other stuff going on. And of course, when you have a major metabolic disruption like PCOS, you're going to have other hormones caught in the crossfire, right? There's going to be (laughs) a lot of other things going on. And so we want to honor all of those. And I think that's where you know, life gets so confusing for women because they're like, well, I follow this PCOS guru and they're doing keto and they're telling me fasting low carb on, or maybe I used to be low carb. Like I was classic in my twenties, just ate low carb and that sort of managed everything. Then I had kids and I'm not getting enough sleep and all that stuff, you know, it changed a lot and I had to do things differently. So if you just have one issue, that's fine. But what if when you follow that now you're just, you're, cravings are crazy, your appetite is too high, your energy is low because we're not honoring those other more delicate hormones. So to me, I always say we want to kind of look through all your hormones and starting with the most delicate ones first. Like, so the ones that are going to have you feeling the worst and also the ones that we're going to mess up the most, both diet and exercise. And so that's honoring any recommendations you need to heed for low cortisol or low thyroid. And you may not know, you might have to get some testing done. You can tell a lot by symptoms. Like I have a free quiz on my website. You could Google what are the symptoms of adrenal fatigue or 
low cortisol. So if you're dealing with any of those things, you want to sort of honor that first and then moving on down to high cortisol issues, then insulin resistance, and then in my opinion, nuances for estrogen and progesterone kind of at the bottom. So that's kind of the carbohydrate piece of it. I think another thing that women with PCOS, and I think all women in general, want to think about this because our estrogen balance is a little bit touchy, and that is animal fat. So I come from a paleo standpoint for the most part. So I do advocate eating animal protein. I think what can happen though, when we eat that diet is we can consume a lot of animal fat and that carries with it a lot of those persistent organic pollutants that are endocrine disruptors in their own right. And they can really skew our estrogen balance. So I generally recommend, and this of course, take this adjust it as you will for all the listeners of what works for you. But for the most part, especially with a female hormone issue like PCOS, steering towards like keeping bacon and fattier cuts of meat to a couple times a week and getting most of your plant, your fats from your dietary fat from more plant sources. So keeping up animal protein, but not always reaching for like, you know, the super fat ones. Totally. And I, you know, this really does go back to how you mentioned conflicting advice, right? So we do see people online posting, they can eat all the bacon and the butter and all of this. And it's just like, that might work for that person, but it really is about finding your uniqueness when it comes to nutrition, because we're also biochemically different. So really, it's really great that you pointed that out. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. So I noticed on your Instagram, you were speaking about ACEs, appetite, cravings, energy, and sleep. And I absolutely love this. So can you explain <laughs> this for us? Yeah. So these are little systems that I think, well, there's a couple of things. So one is I don't, women are often very confused by their hormones and they're very angry at their hormones. They're like, my hormones hate me. I hate my hormones. I just feel like garbage all the time. And I don't know what any of it means. I just know like I don't feel good. And I always say that it's just unfortunate that women don't understand how their hormones are talking to them. Like all day long, we're getting biofeedback from our hormones, especially insulin and cortisol. So they're not fancy. They're not new. You know, they're just not that exciting, but truth be told, they're really important and they are going to affect all of your other hormones. So it's really important to tune into their signals. So they're the ones that are talking to us, you know, most commonly, or I guess most frequently throughout the day. They're also the two that we have the most control over. So it doesn't always feel like it, but we can control what we eat to a large degree and we can control how we're caring for our stress. Like taking less on, managing our stress better, meditating, getting enough rest. So they don't always seem like they're in our control, but those are two hormones we can impact as quickly as like the next minute, right? You can take a few deep breaths and lower your cortisol like right now. So the ACEs system is just feedback from those hormones. So it's appetite, cravings, energy, and sleep. So can you fall asleep and stay asleep? And when those are talking to you are, is going to mean something slightly different. So the symptoms that you get right after you eat are mostly to do with insulin. So did you overcarb? Did you eat too much? Did your appetite go up even though you ate? Did your cravings go up, especially for sugar or caffeine? And did your energy go down? Like I ate and I feel sleepy, lethargic. Whereas the symptoms that you get for the appetite, cravings, and energy that were more related to cortisol tend to be between meals. So a couple hours after you eat, are you hangry? Is everything falling apart? Are you super irritable, cranky, energy is low, you eat, you feel so much better. And then sleep is mostly probably more to do with cortisol than insulin. So can you fall asleep and then can you stay there? So it's a real simple kind of tool. And I'm, you know, testing is great. And if you're working with someone, you can get a lot of information, but that's something you can literally like eat your next meal and say, okay, yeah, I'm getting, I need that piece of chocolate. I really want a cup of coffee and I, you know, I have all these cravings, even though I just eat. And that can really tell you a lot about, you know, how your hormones are liking what you're doing with your nutrition and your lifestyle. So I love this because I talk a lot about insulin and cortisol and I feel like they're the unsexy hormones. Oh, they're so unsexy, yeah. but they're so, <laughs> no one cares anymore. They're so old school, right? Totally. I do. I talk so much about them, especially insulin because I, I do work with so many women that have PCOS and diabetes in my practice. And so, yeah, I often feel like when I talk about blood sugar, women just like roll their eyes and it's like, I know. like so important. Yeah, so I'm so glad you're talking about it. It's so great. I'll be boring with you because <laughs> it really comes back to that. 
So a topic we haven't covered on the podcast is the role that histamine plays on female hormones. So I would love it if you can talk about this. Yeah. If anybody has followed me for a bit, I dealt with a big histamine issue. It was about two years ago now. And it was one of those things that, you know, at the time I didn't know what the heck was going on with me, but now I'm like, oh, such a gift because I was just really probably not catching that in as many women as I thought. So I don't have allergies. I don't have any kind of the classic things that we associate with histamine. So when people think of histamine, we think of sneezing, you know, itchy, watery eyes, hay fever, allergies, maybe like a bee sting that's swollen. And all of those things do have histamine as, as a mediator. But unfortunately, in our you know, common world where we've sort of outlived our genetic SNPs, you know, so some of us have. So my genes, for example, pretty much every way that your body processes histamine that comes in through food or just processes it kind of within your, your brain and your immune system, I have genetic deletions or uh, SNPs, those that's what they're called. polymorphisms. <laughs> Those little errors in gen- in my genes, I have them in every way that you could possibly interact with histamine. So I've got MTHFR. I've got a double SNP for the Dow enzyme, which digests histamine in your gut. I've got double SNPs for MAO, which helps break it down in your brain. So it was really interesting that as I was, you know, it actually was in a pretty good place overall. I was under a fair amount of stress. And this thing has reared its head a couple times in my life. When I was my first year at Bastyr, I was going through a divorce, super stressed out. I was working way too hard and I had chronic hives and nobody knew what it was and, or we knew what it was, they didn't know what was causing it. So I took Zyrtec for about a year because I just couldn't function. Like my bra was making me itch, going to the doctor to figure out what was wrong. I was inching from the tourniquet. It was just, everything was causing all these hives. And eventually you know, it kind of went away and I didn't think about it much anymore until it started happening, you know, again, putting everything together. So I was dealing with just slowdown in multiple enzymes and having itching is my symptom when I've overdone it. And so there's of course more severe, you know, mast cell issues. So mast cells are some of the cells in our immune system that tend to release histamine. There's a couple other cells, but that's kind of the big one. So you can have too many of those cells. You can have those cells that are unstable. And those are conditions like interstitial cystitis. So there's some more what we call mast cell activation syndromes that are a little bit more significant. Some people respond with seizures. This histamine can play a role in that. But when it comes to kind of like basic histamine intolerance, you can have some of these you know, enzyme slowdowns either genetically or, of course, your lifestyle can, of course, impact those genes or those enzymes as well. And so if you just constantly burden an enzyme or you're not giving it the cofactors it needs, it's going to run slower. So you can have those kind of issues, or you could have something in your system like SIBO or candida or some chronic viruses can kick off a lot of histamine as well. So you can get a whole host of symptoms. And I think this is where you know, women sometimes tune out when they start talking about, when I start talking about histamine, they're like, well, I don't have allergies. But Digestion, so bloating, looser stools, that can be one of the only symptoms. Irregular periods, painful periods, you know, histamine is a part of our inflammatory response. For me, I get the vague itching. I had the more painful periods. I had a little bit of joint issues. And the thing that I had really upped in my nutrition prior to this was collagen. I was using a lot of collagen, which is high in histidine, and I just wasn't clearing it out. So it's funny that. Again, going back to what works for you, because collagen, super great food, right? I was really happy with what it did for my joints. I don't know if it did anything for hair or cellulite or any of the other stuff that it claims, but I was really happy with the way my joints were responding, but that was what kind of was pushing me over the edge with the histamine issues. And so when it comes to female hormones, estrogen will decrease the Dow enzyme in our gut. So again, I don't make a lot of that anyway. You can actually buy that in the supplements, rather expensive, but I think Zymogen has it. Yeah, so Zymogen has it. Dr. Ben Lynch's company, Seeking Health, makes one. I think Amy Myers might make one, and there's another company, the Dow Umbrellics. Yeah, I think there was a stint there where you couldn't find it anywhere, but I think all of those people have it now. Yeah, but it, it is hard to find it. It is. It's a couple a dollar or two a capsule, so it's probably not something everybody wants to take all the time. But if you notice that your particular symptoms, if you tied them to histamine, they can be worse, particularly the second week of your cycle. And they can also be worse sort of at the end of your cycle as well. So I know something for me, if I've really watched my histamine intake, I have literally 
painless periods, no cramps, no back pain. So something that I've noticed, I'm pretty sensitive to that way. So that's kind of an interesting caveat with the female hormones. So estrogen actually can make your histamine issues a little worse. It's probably one of the reasons behind, you know, pregnancy rhinitis where women get a lot more congestion during pregnancy. Some of that's probably just increased blood volume and some of the immune shifts, but we do have a lot of estrogen around during that time as well. We have a lot of progesterone too. Progesterone has the opposite effect. It tends to make your histamine issues better. So the way we kind of can work with that is if your you know, painful or regular periods do seem to respond, if they do respond to like a lowering the histamines coming in in your diet or supporting it with some supplements. And with the low histamine diet, it's a very restrictive diet. There's no fermented foods. There's no grains. A uh, lot of really quote unquote healthy things are off limits like avocado. Yes. <laughs> Strawberries, spinach, mushrooms is a pretty restrictive list. So ideally you'll sort of get on top of it if you can resolve it, like treat the infection if there is one. Again, for me, it's sort of a genetic thing. So I have to just be on top of how much I have. I was I teach women like me that it's like a bucket to try not to fill it up too much or you'll probably get some symptoms, but the symptoms are a good tell, right? I know if I've overdone it, I get this like vague itching in my ears or my nose and you just know that I need to to back off a little bit. But as you're sort of navigating that for the long haul, you might find that if you're more careful the first part of your cycle and less careful the second part of your cycle, that can that can be helpful to give you a little more freedom as well. That's really, really great. Yes, I think we had an episode, this was way back, and we were talking about how during that first half of your cycle, you might find you're reacting to more foods, but you can eat it during the second half and you don't yeah. have a reaction. Yeah, it's, that's really interesting. Another another reason why you want to pay attention to your cycle and really monitor that. I think it's really great. And it's something to look at if you're somebody who gets hormonal headaches, because that spike in estrogen might, you know, if it coincides with a day when you had guacamole and strawberries on your salad and some shellfish, you know, that might be a bigger trigger. Whereas one of those things in isolation might not have, might not have bothered you. I love that. And so in terms of testing for histamine, I mean, I know you talked about genetic testing. Is that really the B test to do or what else do you recommend? That was just sort of how mine manifested when it came to figuring, you know, it was just why I had it. Cause I don't have SIBO. I didn't have any other chronic infections, but when I looked at my genes, which I'd kind of honestly not paid that much attention to those, some of those things when I looked at my 23andMe right now, 23andMe is not doing MAO and it's not doing Dow. So I think they still, NATF is another one. That's kind of how you get it out through the urine, which is funny because I don't have, make very much of that one either. So that enzyme runs slow for me. So if I have had too many histamines, then another thing is I just constantly have to pee and it just never feels, it feels like an irritable bladder. Like it just never feels like it's quite, I'm quite done. I think that one's on there, but some of the major ones that are helpful, MTHFR of course is methylation and that pathway will contribute to this too. That is still on the 23andMe analysis, but the other ones aren't. It's a little bit tricky to test for. So histamine in your blood is degraded really quickly. So you can order a histamine test, but that's not all that useful. There's tryptase, which is a reflection of histamine for sure, but that's going to be mostly elevated within like four hours of you having a real flare up. So I find for most women, unless if you're dealing with anything like I was talking about with seizures or this like intractable itching or flushing or digestive stuff that we've ruled out other things and we're thinking you have that mast cell activation, you definitely want to work with a specialist in this because it can be tricky to get that test done and done correctly because you like there's a urine test you can do. The consensus right now is it needs to be collected correctly and kept cold and sent to the Mayo Clinic not to go through kind of our standard labs. We have Quest and LabCorp here. So that can be a little bit tricky for you to get those tests. If you think it's just like me, where I was just having like vague itching and some breakouts that didn't seem to be related to anything else that I was doing, then just try looking at the lower histamine diets and taking those foods out. It's a restrictive diet, but you'll know within a week or two if it's making a difference. You might not be completely resolved, but you'll at least notice that it's making an impact. So good to know. Give that a try. Yeah. The testing is a little, there's a lot of disagreement right now on on what we should be testing. And it tends to be sort of reserved for those more serious issues. Right. Okay. Not breakouts like I was having. 
So I want to go back to exercising and working out. You touched on it briefly. And I know on Instagram, you have some really great content around exercising and working out in general. You know, what do you feel is the best workout approach that women can take when it comes to exercising and specifically for optimizing their hormonal health? So I think, again, it goes back to that hormone hierarchy. So you're going to want to honor the fact that you have adrenal issues or low thyroid issues and not make it worse. I mean, exercise is powerful medicine and I really think we can use it for healing, but it is a very quick way to burn yourself out, to create a lot of inflammation or oxidative stress and make those delicate hormone issues worse. So, you know, you take a woman with adrenal issues or low thyroid and send her to like boot camp or <laughs> yep. <laughs> boot camp, yep. <laughs> we've all been there, I think, as we were talking off air. I have a cold, but we've been trying to schedule this interview, so I didn't want to <laughs> undo. Sorry guys about the sniffling. But you want to go back to that hormone hierarchy. And so where I differ a little bit is a lot of times when women have Hashimoto's, low thyroid, or they're dealing with adrenal issues, they're told, don't do anything. You can go on a walk don't do anything else. And I think there's a couple things wrong with that. One is you tell a woman who likes to work out, she can't work out. That's stressful for her. If you tell a woman that, you know, we're trying to encourage women to have muscle mass and to be strong and to, you know, that there's so many good benefits from exercise. If you tell a woman not to exercise at all, she's definitely not going to be getting those. But on the other hand, it's very easy to overdo it, especially for those two hormone issues. So the way that I like to start is again, kind of where are you at on that hormone hierarchy? So if you are just a woman with PCOS and you can tolerate metabolic training, you know, that works great for fat loss. Um, if you can tolerate more exercise, that's probably going to be really helpful for the insulin resistance. But look back up. Do you have any of those other issues? So if you've got low cortisol and low thyroid, I usually recommend walking. So in my book that I have coming out soon with Sarah Fergoso, we have what we call our five habits. And the first one is five walks a week. So if you can take those like 45 to 60 minute walks, now there are like the most wiped out of women that can't even do that. Like walking for that amount of time makes them feel terrible the next day. So you take it where you're at. If you can walk for 30 minutes, then walk for 30 minutes. If, you, if 20 minutes is fine, but 25 pushes you over the edge, then you walk for 20. And so that's the more extreme example. But for most women, even if they're sort of hormonally wiped out, can tolerate you know, a 45-minute walk five times a week. And then the next one is strength training in a way that, again, is not stressing the cortisol. So putting it a little bit heavier and lower reps. So in our book, we talk about five by five. So it's five reps, five sets. It's heavy. You have plenty of rest. And the way we structured it in the book, because again, there's people that, you know, women have multiple hormone issues. So how do we kind of honor all of that? And how do you take it day by day instead of following some like rope plan that was written for you to do for six weeks or whatever? There might be a day when you're like, I feel actually pretty good today. And I did five sets of five and I took my rest and, you know, it's fine. And there might be another day where you're like, I did five squats and I'm done. And you just either want to use something like an HRV monitor or just kind of, again, tuning into those. I have another little system I can mention, another little acronym for overtraining. So in that case, for low cortisol and low thyroid, I usually find as long as there's plenty of rest, we're not pushing you into any kind of metabolic training. Maybe it's only once a week. Maybe it's twice a week. Ultimately, we'd like, I usually like women to strength train three times a week. But some you know, just so that you continue to gain some strength and keep a little bit of muscle and, you know, training is going to regenerate mitochondria. It's going to be anti-inflammatory if done correctly. So we can use it to kind of, you know, to heal. Now, if you have high cortisol, you should be able to do the walking. You should be able to do the strength training. And you can do a little bit of metabolic work, but you want it to be short because we don't want to be, you know, those short bursts of cortisol should be totally fine. It's just that when someone's dealing with high cortisol issues where they're stressed and wound up all the time, they don't ever get the break from it. So exercise just becomes one more thing. So they really want to avoid the longer distance cardio, which is just triggering cortisol and not necessarily some of those other hormones. And then we also want to just not push it too much with the metabolic training. And then if you're just dealing, so you just keep moving down the list. If you're just dealing with insulin resistance, you should be able to tolerate a little more metabolic work if your thyroid and adrenals are okay. So you can do more volume, you can do more intensity. And then with estrogen and progesterone, there's a lot of 
information about how you should train with your cycle. I find that that is really best applied if you do not have those other hormone issues and you are having a regular predictable cycle. Adrenals are good. Thyroid is good. Then you can kind of play with some of those more nuanced things like upping your intensity or going for PRs during the second week of your cycle and changing things the second half of your cycle. I find that sometimes if we go for that and we miss addressing, you know, those first couple of hormones that we can get ourselves into trouble. And I do have like the ACEs, I have an acronym called RAMP. If you've ramped up your training too much and you know, one way to know that you're overdoing it is for your ACEs to get out of balance. If your appetite goes up, your cravings go up, your energy goes down or your sleep changes, you're probably exacerbating cortisol with your training and we want to back that down. And then there's just some other like kind of classic signs of overtraining. So those spell ramp. So reluctance to train. Like if you start to think about your next gym trip and you're like, just feel the dread <laughs> how hard it's going to feel. <laughs> That's a sign you're overdoing it. Achiness or excessive soreness that doesn't feel like this is just from a good workout. This is actually something more than that, or especially if it's hurting in your tendons or your joints. The tendonitis stuff is really common with thyroid women, which is a lot of women. And then M is for moodiness. Have you noticing more depression or more anxiety? And the P is for puffiness. Do you feel like you're retaining water? That's just a, such a tell for inflammation that might be coming from, from training. Okay. You just explained that so beautifully. <laughs> I've never heard it in that way with training and the hormonal hierarchy. And I love it because oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, that's so great because I, you know, I can totally relate 1000%. So I have autoimmune Hashimoto's currently, as you know, going through writing a book is very stressful. Oh, yes right? And we're in the middle of a move. Like there is so many things going on right now. And I love training, but the reluctance right now mm-hmm. and my recovery and like my resiliency, like it's not there. And so for example, today was one of those moments of like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym. And then it was like, actually I'm exhausted and I'm not going to do that today. So walking was on the agenda today. And that's what felt so good in my body. And especially as somebody who's so go, 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 and like wants to work hard and, you know, give it all in my gym at the gym, that does not work for me anymore. So I do heavier lifting, lower reps. I don't do crazy high intensity. And then there are those like one or two days out of the month where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling this. I can totally rock it. And I feel like super women in the gym. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you said it so well. I'm really <laughs> good your workouts based on your hormonal hierarchy. That's, that's so great. Yeah. It's funny. I've been doing this for like 13, 14 years now. And I feel like the hormone hierarchy was, that was the thing that when I kind of came up with that structure, I was like, this is helpful to women. (laughs) I need to talk about this more because that's kind of where we all get messed up, you know? And I kind of came into training as always being someone, a woman who wanted to lose weight, who gains weight easily. And I like exercising. So I've always tended you know, to overdo it. And I haven't been in that really bad place for a long time. When I wrote my first book, which is a whole other story, I mean, I was just getting so anxious and so sad and was just practically in tears when I would think of going to the gym. And it was, I just was, you know, two times a day and tons of cardio and tons of lifting, tons of metabolic work. It wasn't sleeping. It was really stressful. And I didn't know anything but to keep doing it. I was like, well, I can't miss a workout. So, you know, and you kind of get that adrenaline hit while you're there. So you feel a little better for a second. And yeah, and I think that it's just, you know, you're in a place where it sounds like you can listen to those cues and be your best friend and say, okay, that's not a good idea today. And I think either when we don't understand it or we're being driven by that internal pressure or just, again, like fear of gaining weight, fear of what will happen if I miss a workout or just even fear of being thought of as lazy, right? Like women have this thing where it's like, if we don't go to the gym, we're not as valuable as we thought we were, if we were, or worthy. And we have to be able to understand that this one workout, first of all, one workout's not going to change anything. And second of all, you know, if we're doing a workout, expecting a certain hormonal benefit, like let's take high intensity training that requires cortisol. Part of the reason that works so well is cortisol is one of the things that sparks the growth hormone and some of the magic that happens for fat loss. Well, if you're a low cortisol, adrenally wiped out woman, you're not getting that anyway, but you very much are driving yourself, you know, kind of further into the ground. And I, it's just so hard, I think, for us as women to say, 
it's okay to just be where I'm at today and that your best today is absolutely good enough. And I think we always want it to be more. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I used to go to orange theory classes and would come home and sleep on the couch like immediately after. And I was like, this is not working for me. (laughs) An hour of high intensity. No, this has got to go. So thank you. Thank you for saying that and explaining it in that way. It really makes sense. So I'd love to talk about this really great blog post you have titled five things kale won't do for you. I love it. Can you tell us about that? (laughs) Yeah, I think that when I talk to women, so the women that I work with, and they're so proud of themselves for getting in their superfoods, right? And I think that there's merit to that. You know, we all want to be eating vegetables, but I think we can really easily get hung up on a little detail about, well, I had my chia seeds today, or, you know, I cooked with turmeric, or I ate my kale and miss the big picture. So you can eat all the kale you want, but if you're not getting enough rest, like you're still trying to get by on four or five hours of sleep, or you're not able to address like the bigger picture of your stress, or you're not understanding like those ACEs clues, or you're overdoing it in the gym. Kale's great. I love it. I had kale today twice, probably. (laughs) By the end of the day, I'm sure I'm going to have some more dinner, but it's not going to get me out of chronic stress. So and I think that we, we spend a lot of money and effort and mental energy sometimes really honing those details and missing the stuff that we don't really want to think about, which is maybe sleep, wine, stress, <laughs> overtraining or not training at all. I mean, I think women tend to fall into two camps with exercise. We're either too tired or you know to do it at all, don't have time for it or don't like it or we overdo it. There's not that often that we meet a woman who's you know just like doing just enough and it's kind of that sweet spot we all have to find. But yeah, I think we get a little hung up on, you know, and I think all those things help, right? Like would we be worse off if we didn't eat kale probably, but those bigger needle movers are sometimes just more painful to look at. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. So tell us more about your book. I want to hear more about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Sarah Fragoso, she's best known for her work on Everyday Paleo. She's had five cookbooks, I think, at this point. And we met, oh gosh, five years ago now, and I've been working together for two. And so when we met, we were both, especially Sarah, I was kind of just coming out of it. She was, you know, just kind of coming out of her adrenal fatigue issue. And so we got together to do something. We didn't know what it would be. And it became our podcast. And then we put together this book, which is called Hangry. So for us, again, it goes back to helping women do a couple of things. So while her expertise is in food and strength training, and my expertise is in you know functional medicine, so hormones and strength training, we both have found that the women we worked with, they needed that, right? We needed to do all the stuff that you and I just talked about. So they needed to understand how are my hormones talking to me? They need a base template for nutrition and exercise, but then they need to figure out how to make that work for them. I mean, so often we're just handed a a diet or a workout plan and you work for it, right? You do it the way that it's written. And that can be a great starting point, but ultimately you're going to have to know what your own hormones are talking about and adjust it multiple times in our life, right? So again, what worked for me in my twenties doesn't work the same way now. We go through pregnancy, perimenopause, all those things change. And if you know what your hormones are saying, you can still take that base template and know how you need to adjust it. So our hope of course, is that no one would ever need another book, right? (laughs) You'd have this and be armed with the understanding of your hormone talk to um, make that work and continue to make it work for you and know how to adjust it and know what the signs are that like, okay, this was working great, but all of a sudden, you know, you'll talk to a woman who's like, okay, I'm ready to try some metabolic training. I was wiped out before. Now I'm ready to do it. Well, it totally wiped me out. So they immediately know like how they can go adjust it. But what we found was they needed all that stuff, but also there's so much stress that comes from women just being unhappy, you know, just from not even remembering either because of work or raising kids, like not even remembering what brings them joy. Like we don't do a lot of stuff just for the sake of it's fun or it's play, or it simply makes me happy in this moment. Everything is in a means to an end, right? We do the housework and take care of the kids and you do the work and you and I are entrepreneurs. So it's like, if there's a free minute, we should be working, right? We shouldn't be playing the piano or something like that. So we tried to put it together in like really simple systems. Like I talked about those five habits and the ACEs. And then we have what our five pillars are, which are the mindset 
and misery makers that we feel like most, you know, women struggle with, which is, you know, not being their best friend instead of, you know, they're being their own worst critic and, you know, not being who they are, just like expressing like, hey, this is my opinion and I'm okay if someone doesn't like it and I'm okay telling you no, not because I don't want to help you, but because for my own self-care, I really need to take care of myself. So there's a lot of tools in there around that as well. Awesome. I love it. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I know the audience feels the same way. So thanks so much for that. And where can our audience connect with you? Are you hanging out on Instagram? Yeah, I've been a bit of a slacker the last couple of weeks, but yes, <laughs> I'm not very active on Twitter, but on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Better by Dr. Brooke. And my website is also Better by Dr. Brooke. And I also have a website with Sarah, which is sarahanddrbrooke.com. And on there, you can get lots of free stuff if you've pre-ordered or ordered the book. So there's some really good free bonuses. There's a whole webinar on PCOS. There's one on menopause and another one on brain chemistry. So there's a lot, hopefully really good free resources there that would help you utilize anything in the book to the next level. Amazing. Awesome. Well, I will be sure to put all those links in our show notes and thanks so much for being with us today. You're so welcome. Awesome. Take care. What an amazing episode that was with Dr. Brooke Kalanick. Do follow her over on Instagram. Her handle is at Better by Dr. Brooke. She posts some great content there. And she also co-hosts a podcast. It is called The Sarah and Dr. Brooke Show. And her book, Hangry, Balance Your Hormones and Rediscover Your Joy in Five Simple Steps, it will be available, I believe, in June. So stay tuned for that. To grab her lab guide and to learn more about her book and all her book bonuses, head on over to our website, holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 56 to grab all of the show notes and all of the links. Thanks everybody so much for tuning in. And I really want to thank you so much for all of your ratings and your reviews over on iTunes and whichever platform you listen to us on. It really does mean so much. It helps our show to get noticed and all the hard work that my team and I put into the show. You know, it's so amazing knowing that women are connecting with the show, they're getting supported and they're getting helped. And it's your ratings and review that really help us to get noticed. So thank you so much for that. If you haven't yet left us a rating and a review, do so over on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher and take a screenshot of your rating and your review. Send it over to us. Email it to info at holisticwellness.ca and we will hook you up with our three-day hormone balancing meal plan. And ladies, speaking of meal plan, my book, which will be released December of this year, it has the most delicious meal plan and the most amazing recipes. I've been getting back all of our recipe photos and Oh my God, they are drill worthy and so beautiful. And I just can't wait for you to get your hands on them. So thanks everybody for tuning in. And lastly, if you want to join us in our Instagram influence intensive, that's happening on April 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern time, come register at holisticwellness.ca forward slash Instagram influence. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Have a wonderful week.